From our offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I am Andrew Leadham, Associate Director here at Inspiratia, and as always, I am joined by my incomparable co-hosts, Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute, just down the road from me here in Washington, and Chris Jackson at Proteum over in London. On today's episode, we will be speaking with Elena Fargere. Elena is a principal at Sven Capital in Paris and one of the stars of the hydrogen world these days. We hope you enjoy, and with that, let's get started. All right, guys. Uh, so we're back. Patrick, how's life? Where are you? What are you doing these days? Give us an update. Life's good, Andrew. Uh, I'm in the same room as uh, I've been uh, rec- when we've been recording these podcasts uh, for the last few months. And yeah, loving the 90 degree heat and 50, 60% humidity that a, a Washington DC summer brings you. I'm sure, I'm sure you're loving it too. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. Chris, yourself, you're calling from somewhere new, uh, the new Proteum HQ in London, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit strange. So uh, I'm uh, in our new offices in Chancery Lane. It's quite nice to be actually out of home for a bit and, and in an office. Just I think you, everyone, or at least I go a bit stir crazy being in the same room for long periods of time. So uh, that's quite nice. Um, it is still odd getting my head around a building that probably would normally have about 100 people in it. And I've seen at most eight and half of those are protein people. So, um, <laughs> but, you know. It is what it is, um, you know, slowly moving in the right direction. Um, you know, it's not all bad. Boris Johnson mentioned uh, hydrogen on his latest announcement today. So, you know, things slowly moving in the right direction, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of uh, hydrogen developments in uh, in Europe, uh, big news, guys. The highly anticipated German national hydrogen strategy came out. What was that on June 10th? Is that right? I've lost all track of time, but that sounds right to me. Yeah, you're right on the money. Patrick, what do you think? What's the what's the headline here? Ooh, a couple of them, really. Um, I think the, the, the big one immediately that jumps to mind is, you know, a commitment that, that, that we were kind of aware of beforehand, but commitment to, to five gigawatts of uh, electrolyzer installations by, by 2030 and that ramping to 15 gigawatts uh, in, in 2040. Uh, the other stuff that's probably interesting to, to folks is it's a, a 7 billion euro investment in Germany, but but also a 2 billion allocation to international partnerships. So, yeah, very, very big kind of tangible numbers. Right. And, you know, focusing on, you know, domestic kind of industry, looking at things like chemical steel transport and heating markets as well. But, yeah, lots of lots of good stuff in it. Very well worth a read. And uh yeah, I think a, a nice kind of um, kind of confirmation or a reaffirmation of a lot of the things we saw in the European Commission Green Deal kind of conversations and, and commitments. Were you surprised by anything in that, Patrick? Nothing that I can recall, to be perfectly honest. I think I think it's it's a pretty big, broad kind of hydrogen strategy. Um, I don't know that I saw anything particularly crazy. What about you? No, I, I, I think it's fine. I just was sort of asking the question, I guess, more than anything else. I mean. I think from, as it were, our side or from the sort of protein side, it's frustrating to not see the UK government necessarily taking a lead and following that kind of strategy approach. I think one thing that was interesting was that there's been a lot of debate around volumes. You know, I think this is a five gigawatt target, wasn't it, that they ultimately said. And I think there was a lot of debate around whether that was too 
cautious or too aggressive, and I guess you can never appease everyone. Um, but it is interesting, sort of, uh, the number of discussions I've had with people recently where we talk about the respective merits of target setting and whether that's helpful or not. Um, but if nothing else, it's quite interesting because I think the US came out with some announcements they were going to do $100,000 of funding recently, and people in Europe were like, what do you mean you're paying, you know, it's $100 million, so $100 million of funding, and everyone's like, why on earth are you talking about $100 million of funding? No one cares. The Europeans have just announced billions, and you're talking about $100 million. Why would anyone care about that? So uh, I guess in that sense, it's probably quite good because it raises the bar, and that's very positive. Yeah, it's 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 a it, it definitely is a funny one, and it came out I think maybe a couple of weeks later. It was the DOE's commitment to spend about a hundred million dollars over over the next five years on a hydrogen and kind of uh, fuel cell kind of R and D kind of laboratory style effort, um, which which as you say is just just you know it, it's 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 important right to to have these kind of uh, early stage or indeed uh, support funds but also yeah it, it pales in comparison to you know 2 billion of uh, you know international partnerships that's listed in the german kind of hydrogen hydrogen strategy uh, resource now you know who knows well, maybe, maybe Patrick, maybe that's the U.S. strategy is that we'll have the Germans fund it through their partnership fund. You know, huh? Huh? All of these things are possible, but, but <laughs> I, I think I think to Chris's point, right? The, the target setting documents. You know, we've had many pathways published in the path, or many kind of uh, kind of structured kind of plans. It, it's good to see more significant numbers for sure. Thinking, thinking about your your previous question, Chris, I think the question around the the blue green transition and and ramp uh, is going to be an interesting one in Germany to see to see what the actual uh, deployment uh, kind of looks like whether whether they get to five plus gigawatts of electrolyzers installed and and then the market kind of builds around it or whether we're going to have a different type of kind of ramp where we see you know equivalent uh, to the maybe later targets being uh, filled in by uh, by kind of blue hydrogen supply. So yeah, lots of interesting stuff. But yeah, these, these documents tend not to be surprising or technical. So um, yeah, good, good noises all around. It is, it is just positive noise. I suppose also what's interesting for people is, you know, it was also the Germans that kickstarted the solar industry in Europe as well. So it's kind of interesting again to see sort of Germany taking that lead in, in kickstarting industry and, and engagement with renewables. It's frustrating sitting in the UK because you're looking at it going, you know, this could have and should have been an opportunity for countries like the UK to have um, been the first movers on this and to be the guys that actually, you know, especially given that the UK was supposed to host COP26 this year and the fact that the UK has said that they want to set more ambitious goals for decarbonization now that they've left the EU and set a more ambitious carbon tax, you know, given all of those things in the UK, you would have thought that they might have moved faster. And uh, it's a bit disappointing they haven't. But um, it's hugely positive for the industry. And it's fantastic that it's happening. And I'm sure countries around the world are looking at this closely. Well, and moving into uh, promoting investment in the sector, guys, uh, we have Elena Farger from Sven Capital with us. On the show today, Chris, you want to give us a little background on uh, Sven before we jump into the interview? Well, I mean, Sven, I think uh, Elena's going to cover off maybe a bit more on Elena specifically. I mean, Elena's a bit of a rock star in the hydrogen world. She's a Forbes 30 under 30 um, for her contributions towards hydrogen. She's led a lot of the World Energy Council's research work around hydrogen. She's spoken at the World Economic Forum. Just one of these characters that's extremely passionate about the space and really believes in the opportunity 
She's a very, very competent speaker. If you ever go and see her at conferences, she's very impressive. And I think someone that really understands all the nuances and minutiae of, of the cost and financing. And it, what I'm excited about on the call today is the fact that um, Sven Capital Partners, who she's working with, have this green gases fund, which includes biogas and hydrogen. And so it's nice to see someone with that really in-depth hydrogen knowledge in a position where they can directly finance and support projects. It, it is a European focus, but you know that they can actually get involved into the space and to start backing projects. And, and it'd be good to kind of tuck into that to understand what they're looking at, to understand some of the challenges, and then you know discuss it a little bit after the call and see what we made of it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's get her on the line. Okay, so Elena, could you tell us a little bit about Sven Capital Partners and uh, and your role within the firm? Sven Capital Partners is an asset manager with five billion under management. Um, founded in 2008, uh, with a very strong track record and strategy with respect to everything related to ASG, environmental, social, and government. It was started when it was not a general move. <laughs> It started back uh, to 2010, and um, when we created the Sven Impact Fund for Transition, uh, the fund uh, I'm running with my team dedicated to renewable gases. Well, today it's a perfect, uh, perfect match with the Sven Capital Partners is fully part of it, and uh, we are part of a direct investment strategy, knowing that uh, Sven Capital Partners is, as today, is mainly investing uh, indirectly. It's fund of fund. Uh, however, having also this ESG and social and environmental uh, challenges in mind. So, Elena, before before joining uh, Sven, you were with the World Energy Council, and prior to that, you you were an economist with Air Liquide. Um, and and Chris tells us that you you were also invited to speak at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Um, Perhaps you could kind of give our listeners a little bit uh, more detail about the the work that you've been doing and the. Uh, and the, the kind of roles that you had before you spoke at or that you were going to speak at Davos. Yeah, and maybe showing off even more of Elena's credentials and making her blush a little bit more on the audio. She's also Forbes 30 under 30, so you can add that to your uh, your list of uh, accolades. <laughs> Thank you for this kind introduction, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I'm an energy transition supporter, and everything you quoted is is related to that. Where should I start? Well, you did understand that I'm Russian-French, and basically I moved out from Russia, from Russia to France to, to work on energy transition challenges. My personal story about that was that back in 2010, in Moscow, we had an amazing heat wave, uh, lasted for two weeks, and we had um, the swamps burning around Moscow, and it was worse than in Beijing on the very bad days of air pollution. And in that time, I was, you know, when I was getting up in my small student apartment, I was not able to see the opposite wall of, of my dormitory. And I said to myself, okay, um, I want to contribute. I have a chance to have a, bad, a good education, and this is a very not desirable outcome. Um, and that year, that summer, we had... Uh, more than 60,000 casualties um, in Moscow. And that was my trigger point to say, okay, let me do something about energy transition. I believe I can do. Uh, by the way, everyone can do everything, something about energy transition and every action matters. I 
found hydrogen lava. I did my uh, PhD on hydrogen. And afterwards, I've been working indeed in air liquids uh, and supporting them in defining the, at that time, emerging strategy about first hydrogen mobility and then uh, their strategy related to uh, all hydrogen energy markets, starting from integration of renewables, energy storage, mobility, hard to electrify industry, heating, you name it. You know everything about hydrogen as your podcast name <laughs> states. Um, and uh, indeed, I've been also doing some extra curriculum job, always related to hydrogen and energy transition. I've been special advisor to the World Energy Council, uh, World Energy Council on hydrogen projects. I did quite a number of things with them. I've been running an international expert team. We've published one of the numerous reports telling that how hydrogen is amazing for the energy transition, how many good stuff it can do. I've also assisted them in publishing their uh, official positioning on hydrogen, the report Hydrogen Hyper Hope. You may, you may read. I guess Chris, Chris did <laughs> his homework. And yeah, because all of this, I've been in, in my belief and I hope my contribution to moving energy transition forward have been nominated to, to some lists, including Forbes under 30 list uh, for the contribution in industry in Europe for the decarbonization. And uh, I've been, uh, last year, I've been honored uh, to, to be invited to spoke at Davos and no surprise, <laughs> I've been talking about fair carbon pricing and energy transition and, of course, how hydrogen can can be an option in all of that. Fantastic. And so I think, you know, in a sense, you know, we've got this amazing story, I think, which resonates with a lot of people at the moment, which is kind of growing up to the impacts of climate change and then wanting to be very actively involved in that and taking a really proactive role. And then, you know, having gone through that kind of slightly more research orientated background and then moved into an investment fund. Um, you know, you obviously mentioned Sven is this large organization that always had CSG focus, so it fits nicely with your own core values. Maybe you can explain a little bit, though, where hydrogen actually fits into Sven's kind of investment strategy, because you mentioned green gases, so it's presumably not just hydrogen. So how does hydrogen sit alongside Sven's thinking, um, you know, and how does, you know, how, well, how are you seeing the kind of market evolving for that? How are you seeing this investment strategy behind that at the moment? Mm. So I, t I told you about my past. Let me tell you about your present. and. <laughs> And, and answer your question, Chris. Um, so I left industry uh, one year ago to start and to run the investment fund dedicated to renewable gases. This is a first in Europe, so biogas and hydrogen. What I saw, the, my profound motivation was energy transition is an immense challenge and opportunity for all of us. And there is a lot of things to be done. Hydrogen technology been there for quite a number of decades uh, for different applications. And today we are speaking and doing more and more to promote hydrogen energy applications. Being an energy energy vector, and it's not very new in energy sector, a lot of projects, quite a number of projects are quite capital intense. And the wish and the willingness to move forward only one, two, three, ten private or parapublic or whatever actors is not enough. We are investing in uh, production assets, both in biogas and hydrogen, and distribution infrastructure for gas mobility, should it be uh, biomethane or hydrogen mobility. And uh, this is an amazing venture. This is the first one in Europe, and to my knowledge, the first one 
globally dedicated to this strategy. If there is someone around doing similar stuff, please wave me. <laughs> Should we do something together, I will be more than happy to, to leverage our respective impacts. <laughs> so far, we raised 138 million, which is a very, very uh, decent um, performance for a first-in-a-kind fund. And I'm extremely happy we started operating. We started operating uh, last June, and since then we closed two deals, and we have quite a number of them in in our portfolio. And yeah, it's just great to see that um, we can finance biogas and hydrogen projects and do all carbon emission reduction related to those projects and some um, local effect in terms of uh, value creation and uh, job creation as well. Just confirming, it's due, we've got quite an international audience. This is 138 million euros. Yes, I'm French, so I'm <laughs> speaking. I'm thinking in euros. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Paris-based, isn't it? You, the fund is Paris-based with a European focus as well, right? Just again, so our, if we've got someone listening from Australia or Canada and they're going, can we come and talk to Sven? You guys will probably say, give us time. We'll come there next. G- give me two Honestly. years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And, and Elena, could you tell us a little bit more about, uh, I mean, from from Sven, and now, by the way, is it Sven? So it's Sven. Because I was 100% confident I ran this by, my, my partner is French, she's from Bordeaux. I ran the, the names by her before I came on here. I was like, is this Sven or Swen? And she told me Swen. So that's why I came in getting it wrong. <laughs> so we'll blame Sarah, basically. It sounds like you're talking about a Swedish football player when you keep saying Exactly. There you yeah. go. Okay, okay. Got it. In that case. Um, so could you tell us, uh, you know, which sectoral applications you guys are looking at and find most promising from an investment perspective uh, at Sven and in the uh, Impact Fund for Transition? In hydrogen space, I guess. Yes, 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 <laughs> indeed. Sorry. I mean, we can, we can branch out. I mean, this could be our inaugural inaugural episode branching out, but let's stick to hydrogen. To let, let us stick to hydrogen. The biogas people can set up their own podcast. We can uh, <laughs> let them have that. Everything about everything. Yeah, everything about everything. <laughs> can you be more specific? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of synergies among biogas and hydrogen projects, but yeah, you're right. Let us stick to, to hydrogen. Um, so in hydrogen space, if we are talking about um, production area, I've been running this study with seven international experts. We did um, an assessment of more than 250 Power 2X projects across the world. And some of uh, some of the trend which is clearly seen from this overview is that the average size of installation for hydrogen production is growing steadily and uh, to a very big extent. If some years ago we've been talking about some uh, kilowatt uh, installations, uh, today we are speaking about some megawatt order installation and we have announcements for hundreds of, of megawatt installations here and there. So in production space, as for now, we are ready to finance starting from several, well, from 10 megawatts up to uh, up to 100 megawatt installation in Europe. Um, and talking about final use side, uh, as for now, I see room primarily for industrial application uh, while replacing gray hydrogen by, by whatever other color uh, with um, less important carbon footprint and, of course, mobility sector. We saw last news uh, about Nikola trucks and some Chinese um, truck manufacturer manufacturers getting more and more active in this space. So 
the heavy duty mobility is something which I'm currently looking on as well. So Elena, you, you mentioned it's a, it's a 138 million euro fund. I, I suppose that the next kind of questions that follow on directly from that is how, how much of it has been deployed and, and indeed, you know, what kind of uh, companies or projects have you focused on? You know, given that it's a, a kind of a, focused on a, a couple of different kind of uh, gases and, and different types of markets, how, how much of that is, is hydrogen concentrated? And maybe just even adding, you know, because you said you did two deals, maybe talk also a bit about some of the deal flow you've seen come through to talk about some of the kinds of projects you've seen coming through. Yeah, so we are quite young fund. Uh, we started operationing less than a year ago. We do both biogas and hydrogen. As for now, majority of our portfolio is uh, in biogas space because of uh, the market readiness for this uh, for these kind of technologies. The first two deals we made, one is in uh, biogas production space, where we do finance uh, production assets, and one in um, gas truck space. We are financing infrastructure, refueling infrastructure. For the distribution between biogas and hydrogen, I'll say with an existing uh, prospects I have in mind, it should be 80-20. 80 for biogas and 20% for hydrogen. And I'm with, you, you did understand with my personal story and my personal love for hydrogen, I'm really willing to see more good hydrogen projects, which can, which are ready to, 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 to be built and which we can support with financial. And so maybe just kind of building on a little bit from there, I mean, it's interesting that it's a green gases fund, not a hydrogen fund. Um, do you kind of get the sense and when you chat with your colleagues, is there a sense that it's a bit of a risk diversification thing to be green gases because you can then do biogas or you can do hydrogen? Or was it just at the time when you guys were originally going out to market, raising the fund and thinking about what you wanted it to be, hydrogen wasn't, you know, it was it was growing, but maybe not, you know, even the last six months, the market's changed dramatically. So, you know, if you were kind of doing this again today, would you do it 100% hydrogen or is it actually an intentional de-risking strategy to have a chunk or a fairly large allocation focused on the biogas piece as opposed to a pure hydrogen play? It's it's intentional. Basically, um, with Matima, I have an amazing team, two of us coming from industry, myself coming from hydrogen and colleague of mine coming from natural gas and biogas. And three other colleagues of mine are coming from a uh, financial sector with a very strong record in financing green assets. And uh, the idea of the fund is to highlight and to help to develop at scale gasification as a complement to electrification. I do believe, well, a lot of us believe in whatever um, prospection report you, mm-hmm. you, you may read here and there. We almost all agree that we have a double challenge, one on the decarbonization of energy production and another challenge is electrification of the end users and their hydrogen plays an important role and different roles in this in two of these places. However, we talk a lot about electrification and to my taste, not enough about renewable gases, uh, biogas and hydrogen, and we can also talk about uh, gasification processes where basically you create energy with waste. And yeah, the idea was to focus on the renewable gases area as a complement to electrification. And within this um, renewable gases space, well, we have everything 
related to biogas and hydrogen and also some um, some other projects, but still in renewable gas space. In the past, there have been uh, what uh, some people have referred to, maybe maybe some more flattering than others, uh, as hype cycles for hydrogen, right? There have been previous waves of investment interest in, in hydrogen technologies um, in the energy sector that have died down for one reason or another. And so I think, uh, you know, a recurring theme that we talk about and something that I think is particularly interesting is uh, to understand particularly from from your kind of perspective, from an investor perspective, what's different this time around? Uh, you know, why is this why is this resurgence of interest in hydrogen uh, different from the past uh, interest levels? <laughs> if not now, when? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is such a bleak answer. <laughs> um, there are more and more places on the earth where renewable electricity is at the grid parity, and we will see more. Another thing is that I think Chris, you should you you should you should also uh, fill it. Um, well, I've I've started in hydrogen space in 2012. Then it was not. It was not the hype subject at that point of time. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. And I see a drastic increase in interest since two, three years. And I think partly this is related to more elaborated social and policy concern about needs of decarbonizing and doing it today. Because if 10 years ago we've been talking, okay, what is, you know, the economics, the CO2 price is an upset and we are not even talking about that. Uh, let us wait until oil will be very cheap. And today, well, we still have this benchmarking with carbon-based solutions, but it's not the only motivation for decarbonization. For me, the main motivation as for now is this growing public and policy concern saying, okay, we need to do that. Let us compare apples with apples. Let us compare green technologies among them. Of course, we have all these uh, carbon-based solutions with already depreciated infrastructures and all cost curves went to the very, very optimal stage. And when you can, can, can when you compare this kind of technologies with something green and new and with no infrastructure deployed, as for now, of course, it's, it's, it's expensive at the beginning. And the general idea is that through different economic um, mechanisms, including learning bundling and scale effects, and you name it, the cost reduction will 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 follow its path as it was the case in the solar and photovoltaics. And at some point of time, they will be competitive. However, as for now, let us focus on main objective, which is decarbonization, and find different solutions. And if it's a little bit more expensive at the beginning, well, it's it's okay. So. Following on a little bit from that, Sven Capital Partners was one of the first signatories for the, the Hydrogen Global Charter. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about what the, the charter is and 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 why why you guys signed on. Yeah, Hydrogen uh, Global is initiative of the World Energy Council. The idea is to say, hey, I believe in hydrogen, and I'm not alone. <laughs> I do believe. I do invest. I do research. I do produce hydrogen for energy applications, and we are together. Maybe you do remember the Solar 100 initiative, which was in place at the very beginning of the solar energy deployment, and then solar energy was still quite a number of times more expensive than the electricity from the grid. Uh, 100 companies say, okay, 
I know that it's more expensive today. However, I do believe, I do believe in the cost reduction. I do believe in the necessity of solar energy to, to see the day. <laughs> and, um, let us sign and let us do some long-term uh, PPAs for solar, even if it's a little bit more expensive today. So Hydrogen Global is a very, is inspired initiative for hydrogen by the World Energy Council. And I've been in the founding team of, uh, of this initiative while working with, uh, with WEC um, and with the team of future energy leaders. And I've been, uh, yeah, when, <laughs> when we opened the signatory for, uh, for different companies, I've been part of Sven team at that time. And of course, I've been convinced from the very beginning that it's a good place to be. And with the Sven Impact Fund for Transition, with at that point of time, our target size was 120 million. And we had that, that money available saying, okay, if there is some good hydrogen project, we have this money ready to be deployed and to support and finance the development of those hydrogen um, infrastructure projects. So for me, it was a very natural thing to be one of the, well, first financial signatory of, of the charter. Oh, fantastic. And I think one of the things that kind of leads from that, and you've talked about it as a sort of feature almost throughout your career, is kind of how you've been trying to influence not only companies, but also governments to think about how they can facilitate and encourage investments into hydrogen technologies and towards decarbonization. Um, I guess a few questions, but maybe the most obvious one. Um, everyone learns from everyone else. That's just the nature of the industry. So are there any countries that you you know, you think from your experience, not only with uh, Sven, but also your time with the World Energy Council and uh, in the number of other roles and functions that you've done that are really leading on developing a comprehensive and an attractive policy framework for hydrogen and that you kind of would say, this is someone that's worth looking at. And obviously, there's been a lot announced in Europe, but there may also be other markets that you actually think are more interesting. And if you think it's nuanced, so I like mobility in this country, I like power to gas in this one. <laughs> you know, if you can, you know, I think I think our listeners quite like the details, so crack on. Mm. Uh, there are quite a number of countries who are doing a great job in, in promoting hydrogen. I know you told with Toyota from Japan in one of your podcast series. Okay, okay, of course, Japan is one of these uh, showcase countries where you have alignment of the policy vision of industrial implementation strategies and also the public acceptance. For example, the GEOs was supposed to be uh, hydrogen powered. Um, there are some good things happening in the mobility space in California as well. Uh, with the zero emission vehicles mandate and uh, the in California very strong move towards decarbonization of the of the transportation there are some big announcements for the trucks projects there as well uh, for the power to to X I don't see yet that many policies related to injections in the natural gas grids of course we have a Leeds project uh, where uh, in the United Kingdom where all city will be converted to 100% hydrogen uh, by 2050 uh, with all changes necessary in, in, in existing infrastructures and appliances. However, it's more long-term. As for now, um, I don't see any fit-in tariff or whatever uh, related to injections of the hydrogen natural gas grid. But it's okay. There are so many good applications for hydrogen to be used directly as a fuel or as an energy carrier. So. I, it's good to be to be focused on them first. 
Perhaps uh, just a, a broader kind of follow-on question to the, the the bigger kind of themes we've covered kind of today. We like we often talk to to OEMs. We talk to kind of infrastructure, kind of either owners or service providers. You've been kind of dedicated to the hydrogen space, and, and now are working in a in a financial role in one of the the, the, the kind of major funds in the space. When you when you talk to to fellow professionals in in the financial sector, when you when you go to conferences, when you meet people. You know, how has the mood or the tone changed? Changed, and, and what kind of a what kind of an audience do you do you have when you when you talk about hydrogen in general as a as a pot- potential kind of energy vector for the future? Yeah, I want to precise that there are different investors in this space. We can speak about very early stage investment and seed investment to develop some breakthrough technologies in the hydrogen space. You have some funds dedicated to growth strategy and development of the existing hydrogen companies for them to put in place their first project or their first product and then accompany them in their growth. And then I'm at the very right scale of of um, of this space financing the infrastructure projects the assets for should it be for the production or for the distribution there are some actors not a lot of them but there are some um, working on hydrogen or having hydrogen explicitly in the investment strategy when i'm going to to the conferences as for now i see a lot of family offices which are driven by both their willingness to create a more sustainable world and hydrogen is in their scope. And I also start to see some uh, long-term institutional investors who are having a lot of money to place uh, somewhere. For We can take example of mutual insurance company, for example, uh, who are managing money for 10, 20, 30 40 years and uh, the idea for them is to anticipate what the world will look like in this uh, in such a long term and uh, hopefully there are some of them which do believe in a sustainable outcome for the world and in this case they are looking more and more precisely on green technologies including including hydrogen however yeah for it's still I'll say a minority of the place. However, I do believe and I do encourage and I do uh, believe that uh, there will be more and more actors basing their investment strategies in the for the green technologies, including hydrogen. I kind of want to pick up on that and maybe broaden it into a bit more of chat. Patrick, get you pulling your thought on it as well. Um, yeah, Elena, at least insofar as I can see it, and you know, you give me a different perspective because I think you do talk to slightly different investors, so you'll have a different view. It seems as though there's a fairly significant amount of money kind of at the VC stage for interesting IP, especially around the mobility and the kind of interface with fuel cells and battery. There's a lot of publicly listed money that's really interested in the hydrogen story. Um, and then there's kind of the large scale infrastructure investors that are saying, well, if it's sort of, you know, several billion and I've got a nice long term offtake structure or a government feeder mechanism interested. And then everything in between that is really difficult. Right. And in a sense, that's what makes them quite interesting is, you know, at least in so far as I see it, there are not that many funds sort of sitting in there. And ironically enough, you don't really have much deal flow for those billion dollar deals, which is not there yet. But at the same time, to get to that, you need those projects earlier down the chain to move. And there's actually not a lot of funding there. And there's a lot of funding to get all these innovative ideas and technologies to the point where it can be deployed. But the minute it comes to deployment, 
there's almost no funding then there from the private sector to do that. So is that how you see that? And then how do you think you start to change that? And, and you know, what's your view on how that will change? Is that just a timing thing or is that also a mentality and a culture thing? I know that the hydrogen will come. I don't know when. <laughs> I don't know people. Well, maybe someone can tell me when. I hope it will be uh, sooner than later. You're absolutely right, Chris. There is there is this gap. And this is extremely important for me to address this gap because the technology is there. Of course, you can do some great innovation in improving the efficiency or finding another catalyst, catalyst or finding a new business model or providing a new zero emission service. Of course, there is always place for innovation. However, for me, what is the missing piece today is getting at scale and financing bigger and bigger projects in order to uh, have this cost reduction pathway started for hydrogen technologies and then logically moving to this multi-billion projects, very big infrastructure projects, and which will do the, the significant contribution to, to the emission reductions and climate change mitigation. However, today, when you start speaking about a decent size hydrogen infrastructure project, uh, you are talking directly about 15, 20, 100 million of investment. Some of the private big companies are doing good job in financing and de- deploying these projects. However, the idea is to share the risk and enable more and more projects of this size and this type to, to emerge. And, um, here we come. <laughs> so we leverage some, some, some money to finance and to, po- to support those kind of projects. Uh, today there are the economic case for hydrogen can still be challenging. However, there are some niche applications. So some very well thought out projects with different polarization strategies and with, uh, secured offtakes and there's some maybe, I don't know, we're talking about power takes with some services to create, but when you pick everything you can pick and you do uh, intelligent and good design for an application, there can be a case. And uh, I'm focusing as for now for this, let us say, handmade pieces of jewelry <laughs> driven by very knowledgeable people from the hydrogen space. And they contribute to general, um, to general move in this, in this space, uh, because, because, and thanks to their projects, the cost will get down. Uh, the public authorities or other financial investors will see that this is possible and this is not that risky as they may believe it is. So these positive dynamics will be created altogether. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Elena. Really appreciate you taking the time and speaking with us. Elena, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris, for, for your kind suggestion. And really thank you for what you're doing, guys. You're doing a great job. You'll have to come back and, and join us soon uh, and uh, talk about what you guys have done in the, in the next year, yeah? Yeah, sure, sure. All right, guys. Seemed like a pretty fun interview to me. What, uh, what were your guys' key takeaways? Chris, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. So I, I think what's interesting to me, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, is this thinking about how... Not how hydrogen actually also fits in or can fit in quite nicely as part of a broader green gas investment thesis. Um, I guess I hadn't really taken much time to sort of think about that and how it plays together, but actually there are a lot of nice natural synergies in thinking like that. 
For example, in the UK, we're having a lot of discussions with companies who are saying to us that they are thinking that their transition to 2030 on the transport side is probably going to be bio CNG first. And then after bio CNG, then they see fuel cells and hydrogen as the way. And actually, if that is true, and that's what a lot of companies end up doing, uh, then there's a ton of sense in a fund approach that is looking at it as a green gas positional play and saying, well, we understand the logistical elements of how you do a new renewable gas for industrial heating or power generation or transport because we're doing it on the biogas side. And then we're also concurrently running hydrogen projects alongside it. That actually is really interesting and hadn't really thought about how those elements play together. Um, you know, it was also good to listen a little bit to the types of projects they're interested in, the sort of ticket size that they want to write. Uh, it is in some ways still quite surprising to me how few firms, or sorry, should I say how a few funds uh, are specifically allocated towards this space. Um, you know, I have spoken to a couple of organizations that were raising some quite large amounts of money or were looking to earlier uh, in this year or end of last year. Um, it has to be said, uh, none of them have yet come to market. So I, I don't know if that's partly to do with COVID or if that's just people keeping their heads down. But, um, you know, while there's a huge amount of corporate level investment going into the space while there's a large amount of government interest you haven't seen as many of the funds coming in so it was good to have uh, Sven and Elena on the show uh, just to mention and to just talk about how some of these organizations are engaging with the space and how some of the finance community is thinking about the space I thought those were really useful um, Patrick what would you add yeah I think I think those are those are some of the kind of critical points that, that we kind of covered in in the interview and, and the fact that that Hydrogen in and of itself is reaching the point where kind of investors and funds are starting to take notice in in, in the way that Elena kind of described is kind of important, right? It's 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 a measure. Um, the other side of it, which is which is as you say, is very interesting, is where where this fits going forward, right? If it is in a green gases portfolio, or you know you know even even broadening that out into kind of just the looking at a, a decarbonized chemicals uh, kind of space. And if, if that's the mechanism by which uh, this is going to get a lot more investor interest or, or kind of fund focus, right? I, I think overall, this is, I think Sven is maybe one of three, maybe four funds of, of, of very significant size focusing on, on this space. Um, and as such, you know, this is this is a very early play. That's that's obviously why you know there's a, what I think Elena said. Uh, two biogas projects uh, have been their their first efforts in the space, but they're they're waiting for projects to come in the door, and that's that's both encouraging, but also it shows you that that we're kind of getting to the point where where these guys can get involved and start to actually play a role in accelerating the the development of projects, um, which is very very positive. In the same breath, you know, Chris's point around the green gases play more generally and the shape of the market is going to be a, a very, very important kind of note in, in determining what funding patterns are going to look like going forward and, and what kind of projects people are going to, to concentrate on. So, yeah, like lots, lots of interesting aspects, lots to lots to kind of think about, read the, the kind of uh, the future of the space and and also you know how this will develop in terms of perhaps some regional markets or you know perhaps how different use cases will change um change the kind of the model by which we'll we'll consider these things so yeah very interesting and, I, and I, I Patrick, was sorry 
Well, I, I just wanted to build off of that because it's something that, you know, that we had uh, mentioned to each other earlier, but I just wanted to build off of what you're talking about here, guys. And uh, Patrick, I mean, were you and Chris, feel free to jump in. Were, were you guys surprised or perhaps you knew this ahead of time and it was just me who didn't know it, that Sven had not yet allocated any uh, investment to a hydrogen specific project? Or does that does that sort of square with what the market looks like just just yet? I mean, was that that seems about right to you guys, or, or were you surprised to hear that? I, I was just going to say, I don't think it's it's a surprise so much as it's it's still very kind of early phase, right? Like, and you know, Elena is looking for like that's what they're doing. They're looking for these projects right now, um, so it's live. So you know, when they find a, a good project or a good opportunity, as as Chris rightly notes, you know, at the the size and scale that they're happy to participate in. You know, there's no reason to think that they they won't be investing, but they're you know that's just um, that's just you know what you'd expect kind of investors to do, right? In in an emerging space, is to to look for the the right projects with the right kind of profiles for what their their appetite is, and go from there. So not necessarily surprising so much as you know I look forward to when they start to to be able to to actually directly engage in the project. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, no, not to worry. I mean, I, I think the piece that that strikes me here though is that when i've spoken to elena about this it's not that there aren't plenty of projects that she's seeing i think yeah and i think this is possibly you know uh an indication and and i'm aware you have to be careful of not anecdotally reading too much into certain things but i think it is the case that there are a lot of projects and concepts i mean i frequently get messages from people saying i can produce tons of green hydrogen can you find me an off taker and so it's not the case that people can't find ways or think of ways to develop projects to create hydrogen, whether it's green or blue or gray or whatever other color. It, it is about thinking around that offtake piece. And I think, interestingly, this is where the value of a strategy really comes in because the, the concern that most investors have right now is if you don't know what the long-term market is going to look like and you don't have a sense of where hydrogen fits into that market, then you're far less comfortable taking merchant risk on projects. And therefore, you want a certain fixed amount of offtake. And then that sort of puts everyone in a catch-22 because the transport space, which is the most lucrative space for hydrogen, is not typically one that has long offtake structures. You know, most sort of commercial vehicle haulage companies don't sign 10-year fuel offtake agreements at a fixed price. It's not really, it is just not a done thing. Even, you know, most local transit authorities, you know, would be pushed to do much more than seven years. I've heard 10, but I've heard nothing longer than 10. Um, so if you're then thinking about a project financing structure with a large amount of upfront capital expenditure and you're struggling to get a 10 year offtake, you know, and realistically, maybe even at seven, um, and in some cases maybe even worse, five years fixed and then it's merchant, uh, that's very difficult to finance. And I think that's part of the challenge that funds like Sven are having, which is that there are interesting opportunities, um, out there, but that they can't take that level of merchant risk without there being a clearer sense that the kind of national level and at corporate level and municipal levels that actually people are buying into this and it's not in five years time you know people are going to pack up the fuel cell buses or pack up the fuel cell trucks and then switch to battery or switch to cng um you know the good example of this is there's another french fund and um that's a whole separate theme that's quite interesting is how many french financial institutions are involved in this space but there's another one called meridian and meridian took um a fairly decent chunk uh, chunk of the project equity that a French developer, Hydrogen de France or HDF Energy, 
was doing with one of their projects in French Guiana. And I'm fairly certain if you looked at the numbers behind that and you understood why Meridian was willing to invest in that project, a lot of it was because the offtake was a long-term offtake agreed with the local utility. You know, and so then they have that long-term price certainty and then that's why they can get into it. I, I suspect it probably isn't as lucrative, although I haven't seen the numbers. I suspect it's probably not as lucrative as a transport play could be, but it has that long-term commitment, which investors want. And I think that's probably a message for a lot of people in the industry and a lot of people thinking about developing projects is, you know, in the absence of comfort from investors to take merchant risk, how do you get off-takers in this space to sign up to longer-term off-take structures? And that's also where government needs to come in and think about ways of helping to bridge that gap as well and to get investors more comfortable with taking a level of merchant risk by and, setting and, a long-term agenda. And I wanted to actually, that is something, you, Chris, you gotta, you're always getting ahead of me with these, these longer-form answers, man. You know, I've got my, idea, my question ideas here. <laughs> Sorry, uh, man. No, 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 it's good. It's good. It confirms that maybe I've got the right questions for you. Uh, but I do want to I want to kind of maybe point to some specifics and maybe you guys haven't had a chance to go through it just yet. And maybe the strategy itself is not uh, highly detailed at this stage. But, um, you know, using as an example, uh, something like the national hydrogen strategy that Germany just put out. I mean, how are governments doing this uh, to support investors to support investment? And, uh, you know, if they're not doing it, uh, what do you guys, where do you guys see the most uh, effective measures to do so and, and the best opportunities to do so? Well, look, and then and I think this tags on a little to what, what Chris is talking about, right? Like we've, we've done a bit of analysis around kind of green steel production and, and, and fuel cell kind of uh, bosses and things like, you know, like we've done done the kind of the different range scales, you know, approximately we we look at you know a, a steel mill a single steel mill you're being equivalent to about 100,000 fuel cell buses and you know when you're talking about those long life uh, capital assets that you know aren't going anywhere and aren't moving around and also you know frankly aren't aren't going to be replaced in 5 years you know that gets to the the point that Chris is making both around the the offtake agreements but also around the kind of you know kind of scale of investment you can make and see you know substantial return from uh, rather than maybe smaller scale projects which might be you know like a, like a localized or decentralized production uh, at you know a few fueling stations you know there there are different scales of a project that will give you different economics and different return profiles right um and similarly you know when when we talked about you know the german hydrogen strategy earlier you know the, the call out sectors that i that i mentioned you know steel chemicals as well as transport you know those are very big long duration consumers in in, in terms of steel production and also you know the chemical sector they use large volumes they're investing in long duration assets 20 25 years in some cases sometimes more and and consequently you know that is a very very deliberate uh, signal that you can invest in this space and over you know different time profiles you know kind of generate return you know in the very same breath you know that's a that's a government designed strategy document where those don't exist there's plenty of actors in the spaces you know large industrial kind of groups are absolutely talking about use of hydrogen and hydrogen substitution into various uh, aspects of their 
kind of uh, supply chain or various aspects of their production and, and processing systems you know whether that be simply uh, thermal thermal heat options which you know folks are starting to look at a little bit or whether it's electricity and and resiliency like i saw an article today around data center use again right so you know substituting the backup diesel generators for for hydrogen uh, fuel cells you know these are the kind of efforts that give you long long kind of life profile on 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 those investments and you know potentially very good upsides but it also gets the market to scale because these aren't small users so there's a lot there's a lot going on in these spaces and 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 I think these these larger industrial groups that are starting to look at it will drive some of those kind of uh, consumption patterns in the next next few years or at least start to drive them and government policy if it isn't you know kind of indicating or leading from the front a little bit will will probably follow um, and actually to be fair patrick what you're touching on there really which is something that we focus on a lot of proteum in the way that we've approached um opportunities in the uk market is the fact that is the heating side and uh, to an extent the power side but definitely the heating side that really offers that volumetric um long-term offtake structure which is great for getting in that low cost of capital infrastructure investors to participate, you know, and so if you can find a mechanism to do that, um, you know, either because you're able to bring in transport components to improve the economics in the short run and then longer run, the numbers are more attractive, or if you can get government support or if the company has a certain set of strategic objectives and you can get scale up to do it the right way, you know, whatever blend of um, approaches you want to take or, or combination of those approaches uh, you know, that I think is the key. I think, you know, the transport piece is something that everyone focuses on a lot because they can see the margin. But actually, in terms of getting in that long term institutional investment, getting those types of funds like spend to invest, uh, in some senses, some of the better offtake structures are those longer term heat pieces. And so maybe that's the interesting mismatch um, that's kind of going on at the moment. Um, Payback's also just a really interesting thing. I mean, talking about recent papers, there was a paper that, um, was put out on um, Doosan recently and uh, talking about uh, Doosan's uh, fuel cells and how they compared to a gas turbine in the UK for things like supermarkets. And uh, it was quite interesting because they basically were turning around and saying that, you know, nowadays a Doosan fuel cell system with the government's um, current center for structures will pay back in four and a half years. You know, four and a half years is an incredibly quick payback period. If I think about some of the reports that I used to be reading on hydrogen, people were talking about eight years. So to talk about four and a half years suddenly starts to fall within that one and a half to four year band, which is where sort of most procurement managers go. So it is changing. It is getting better and costs are definitely starting to bite. But, um, you know, I, I think now uh, now is also kind of the moment for investors to kind of maybe be a little bit more willing to take a little bit more risk than they, they would have done otherwise. For government to give them that confidence of the direction of travel so that they're willing to take that level of risk. And also companies not to just retreat, I guess, and to say, you know, in this COVID environment, we don't want to spend any money. We don't want to invest. We want to just sit and wait. Because if they do that and people don't make investments in the next few years, I think um, there will be really negative long-term consequences from that. And, and hopefully some of this green recovery money that's going around, uh, we can channel into hydrogen fuel cells and make sure that they can be the key part of the decarbonization story we know they should be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff you know, coming out with uh, the German strategy, but I think we've got some interesting uh, developments on the near horizon uh, that I think, guys, we should probably hold off on discussing until the next episode. But Andrew, I do want to ask you, have you put in a reservation for a badger? 
Ooh, ah, man, I was hoping you guys would get around to these questions for me. As you may recall, I do have a standing reservation for the Nikola Jetski. Uh, There's been less buzz around that one. Uh, I have not yet signed up for the Badger, uh, but I figure, you know, the three of us, we could each reserve one and then go to Nikola World in December. That's kind of my, that's my suggestion. I was going to pitch that to you guys uh, off camera, so to speak, but, you know. Uh, maybe uh, maybe this is the time to discuss it. Have you reserved one yet, Chris? <laughs> uh, no. Um, or, uh, <laughs> practical, or a for, of... <laughs> not practical for London living these days? Well, I mean, th- there's sort of a fairly long list of, um, of reasons. <laughs> one being I'm not in America, which doesn't help. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh, two being uh-huh. that the Badger doesn't kind of work on one-way narrow London streets, I uh-huh, suspect. Yeah. Um, and the two is the uh, the final one is uh, something that uh, I think uh, our listeners will have to wait to find out about. Um, watch the space. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Ooh, is that a, that's a good teaser? <laughs> it's almost like I intended it. How about you, Patrick? You have your badger yet? Not yet. I, I do not. I do not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm interested, Andrew. Are, are you getting the 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 battery electric one, or are you going to get the the hydrogen fuel cell one? The, uh, you're decided you're getting of it. the badger. I have. I was. My understanding was a hybrid. Have I? Have I not? That you had both on board. Is that not accurate? Yeah, it is. It's still. I mean, look. All fuel cell electric vehicles have a battery. But I think. Right. Well, I know pure, that there's a pure. There's a pure battery, and then there's a fuel cell one that has a battery. Uh, so I thought the right. badger offered the option to uh, to charge battery separately. I guess I'm under complete misapprehension. I have oh, no idea. To probably be honest. defer to I, you. So, my, so guys, oh, maybe, maybe we should do some. some no, I'm going to hang on. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, no. I, it was my understanding that they you could do both, uh, but that hold on. You you've decided that you're going to reserve one of these these vehicles, and you're not even sure. Me? What, yeah. This no, is... I reserved. I dude, I didn't reserve. I reserved the jet ski. <sighs> I'm just <laughs> I'm just disappointed, Andrew. Yeah, well. So the battery they're saying is 300 miles and the fuel cell is another 300. That's how you get the 600. And right. It's, and it's eight kilos of hydrogen storage on board. Um, I, that seems like quite a lot of hydrogen for 300 miles of range. Am I misreading that though? It is still, it's like, it's both, right? That you can, you, you can charge the battery separately. Am I misunderstanding how this is working? Well, I mean, the Nicola page is basically just a million photos of the badger. Um, it's, like, it's not, I have to say, a huge amount of info. There's like a lot of different colors of the badger, which looks quite cool. Um, the other thing I never get is like, are these just all CGI rendered images? Like, I'm sure they must be interesting, but they look awesome. Um, I wish I was. I've, I've been wondering the same thing. There's, we got. I think we have a lot of things to sort out uh, when it comes to the badger, though. So I think the conclusion, I think the big takeaway here for, for the co-host, here it is. We don't know enough about the Badger to all reserve our own individual ones, but maybe by next episode we'll have some more details and, uh, you know, then we can then we can discuss our plans on the air again. Almost like we need someone from Nick to come on the show. Almost. One would think maybe that would be a good idea. And with that, I think we should sign off, guys. And that does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. A huge thank you to Elena Farger of Sven Capital for joining us on the show today. It was a fascinating conversation, and we look forward to hearing more about her work in the future. 
Thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their unparalleled co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. And also, as you guys know, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. If you have any questions for us or our guests and would like to get in touch with us, please send us an email at podcasts at inspiratia.com or find us on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time on Everything About Hydrogen. Hydrogen.